Welcome to Scriptures for Life, a ministry of Trinity Evangelical Free Church in Boise, Idaho. In a troubled world riddled with endless pursuits, we have a place of peace and rest in Jesus Christ. We invite you to join us in worshiping Him and following Him in a life-transforming journey. Now, here's my friend Mark to introduce today's sermon. Good morning. Trinity Evangelical Free Church in Boise, Idaho welcomes you. This week, we continue in the series, The Preponderance of Evidence. Has anyone ever asked you what the gospel is? What does it mean to you? Are you like the father who brought his son to Jesus to be healed? When Jesus questioned his faith, the father said, Lord, I believe. Help me my unbelief. Each of us must come to terms with our own expectations, our rights, For when Jesus enters our hearts, this changes everything. Today we hear about the historic events of Christ's resurrection and his appearance to the apostles. Listen as we learn of the greatest story ever told that ever existed. Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior come unto us as both man and Lord God. Look at Deuteronomy 17.6. Deuteronomy 17, 6, he became back, he started back with Moses and the law God gave him. On the evidence of two witnesses or three, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness, not good enough. Why do we believe that Jesus is alive? There's an overwhelming weight of evidence in the witnesses that Scripture puts forward. Today, the number of witnesses in our judicial system plays a crucial role. The more witnesses you have, the stronger the case. Secondly, not just a demand of witness multiplicity, but we have the dynamic or the power, the dynamics of the spectrum of witnesses. And here's where we start digging. There's a power and a purpose why God has chosen people from every walk of life that have come forward saying, I have met Jesus. Not just his closest friends, but as one different from another. They didn't get together in a consortium one day say, hey, let's have the same story. Look at what the Lord has done in proving through testimony to us today that Jesus is alive. The dynamic spectrum from one end to another of witnesses. And the Lord has used it because of His strategy, trying to pierce our hearts and strengthen it. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15.3. 1 Corinthians 15.3. The theologians call this the kerygma of faith. If anybody ever asks you, well, what is the gospel? I was listening to a message which said that today, People that are churched and educated, more than 64% could not clearly describe what the gospel is. Oh, it's the good news. God loves us. No, that's not the gospel only. 1 Corinthians 15.3 is one of those, beginning with verse 3, is one of the beginning, the, the, the complex presentation and compilation of all the different um, levels of what this good news is and what God has done. Here's the good news. For I delivered to you of first importance, most importance, 
what I also received. One, that Jesus died for our sins in accordance to the Scripture. The first foundational point of the good news. Jesus died for your sins as Scriptures have prophesied. It's all packed in that one phrase. Second, that He was buried, proving that His death. He didn't fall asleep. He didn't faint. He was dead in the tomb for three days and three nights. Three, that he was raised on the third day. God has the power. Jesus prophesied it and Jesus fulfilled it. He was raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures. Notice the repetition of that phrase. Scriptures and scriptures and scriptures know the word of God. Four, and that he appeared to Cephas, meaning Peter. He died, he was buried, he was raised, and then he didn't just Go to heaven and disappear like any of the other false prophets the world worships today. He appeared to all of these people. And then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as an untimely born, he appeared also to me, says Paul. Let's look a little bit at the spectrum, this gamut of the different people that Jesus appeared to. First of all, he appears in an individual way to a denier. To one that said, I don't know this man. And he didn't do it just once. He did it three times. He was not playing the game. He was not in on the joke. He didn't just act and told what he was told to do by Jesus. He acted in his fleshly way and said, I don't know this man. I want nothing to do with this man. And Jesus appears to this denier. Verse 33. The eleven and those who were with him, with them gathered together saying, This is back in Luke chapter 24. The Lord meets with these two that are going towards the village of Emmaus. They come back, they meet the disciples, and they're telling them what they missed before they tell them what they encountered. So they're telling him, listen, Jesus, he appeared to the eleven, and he appeared to all those that were together, and he, he told them, the Lord has risen And he appeared to Simon. Above everything else, it's so important for these two disciples and for the disciples as a group that Jesus gave the time of day. And he individually pursued. We don't know where it was before that Jesus walked on the shoreline with, a, with, with Peter. It was before then that Jesus took the time. Between the time that he, he, he met Mary Magdalene, he went to heaven, then came down. Before he went to the disciples in the room, he went to Peter by himself because he needed to because he was broken for he had denied peter that ran away and denied something changed completely in his life and strength and tenacity after he had met jesus then he appeared to a group it's a group appearance to the fearful you take the denier which you think, okay, he's going to believe it or not. But he went, remember that Peter ran with John to the tomb. John was younger. He was able to go inside, took a look. And Scripture says John saw that the tomb was empty and he believed. Peter, not just yet. He's been around a while. He knows life is tough. I don't know. And Jesus spent time to grab a hold of his heart. Then he appears to a group of fearful, Luke 24, 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself 
stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do you doubts? Why do you why doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? Notice the stages of proving that he's not a ghost, that he is alive. He lets them see him. He actually doesn't go through walls, as some may say. He's able to appear and disappear in time and space from a different dimension into ours. Poof, there he is, and poof, there's gone at the speed of thought. He appears before them. They're frightened, and then he says, listen... Doesn't tell them, but he shows that he's God. He knows what they're thinking. He knows what they're feeling. He speaks out what their thoughts are. And then he says, listen, look at me. All of these signs, you've seen my hands pierced. And then he says, listen, touch me. The next level. I'm not a ghost. You're not hallucinating. By the way, we'll talk about this later. There is no group hallucination. You may take group drugs, but you can have different hallucinations. They were seeing the same thing at the same time. And then it goes to the next step, now touch me. Whereas before he told Mary Magdalene, do not touch me. Now he invites them, come, come touch me, hug me. See that I'm real. And then the next step, have you anything to eat? I can eat and I can drink. Not a ghost. They gave him a piece of broiled fish. That's why you have fish on Easter morning. I keep telling you that. And he took it and he ate before them. Until the day when he was taken up, Acts 1-2, Luke sums it up. After he had been given commands to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, And speaking about the kingdom of God, you wonder where the uh, gospel writers, the New Testament writers got all that information? Some of it came from this. As he's listening listening to him for 40 days, and they've got the miraculous Holy Spirit power of recollection and memory. Jerry needs some of that, right? But they were able to hear what he said, teaching them about the, the kingdom and about the church and everything else. And they remembered, and they sat down, and they wrote what they remembered. He appears to a denier. He, he appears to a group of fearful people. Then he, we see an appearance to a, a, a mass group of people. Matthew 28, 16. Now to the eleven disciples went to the Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Did you see that phrase there? Oh, I wish I lived in the Lord's time. I would believe. No, you wouldn't. The Lord said, listen, they've got the, got the, they got the prophets and, 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 and the books, and the books of Moses. If they don't believe that, even if someone is raised from the dead, they won't believe it. They doubted. They saw Jesus, touched him, heard him, and they would not believe. The secret is that you don't convince an unbeliever to believe in Jesus. Don't. The Holy Spirit transforms his heart as he hears the gospel he appeared to many at once 
Then we see he appears to his family. He appears to James, his brother, which in his humility in the book of James, he doesn't even have the courage to say, yep, I'm his brother. No, he says, I'm the brother of the brother of Jesus. He appears to James. And then we see that he, he, there's an intervention appearance to the two disciples. They said, we've had enough. We waited. We did what he said. We're out of here. And he walks with them and he, he encounters them and he, he, he's, he's slightly humorous with them. What are you guys talking about? What, do you, what is it? You're the only one that doesn't know. And he listened and he began to give the greatest sermon ever, not heard by us. Showing how the Christ was seen in the Old Testament and all that he endured and lived was seen and prophesied and fulfilled. And these guys' life were changed when they saw his hands and he prayed. We see that the Lord uses this strategic and strengthening way of appearing to different people, a different number of people, different kind of hearts. He does that. And secondly, he's the one that appears to comfort and redeem. He appears to Mary Magdalene, right? We talked about this last week, that she's broken, she's at the tomb, and she's crying out, where is he? He rose early on the first day of the week, and he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Mary, everything changed when she heard her name spoken by Jesus. Then he appears to the other women that are returning from the tomb. We see that in Matthew 28, 8, our text. They departed with fear and great joy after they saw him, and they told his disciples. And Jesus met them and said, Greeting, and they came up, took hold of his feet, worshipped him. Do not be afraid. And when they went and they told the disciples, they're like, Ah, not so fast. Not so sure. Now, many disciples, many witnesses, from one end to another, the second pillar of the case we're building. It's not just the overwhelming number of witnesses, but the veracity of their character. The people that they were, and that the people that they became. The people that they were, they were not gullible. They were not about to just take anything uh, with a glass of of water and say, okay, everything is fine. They were hard people to convince. First of all, in the veracity of their character, He was surrounded and appeared to an unbelieving family. Scripture tells us that in John chapter 7, 3. Here's Jesus performing all these miracles, and his brothers and mother like, ah, he kind of lost his mind. Actually, they begin by mocking him. In John 7, 3, his brothers said to him, listen, leave here and go to Judea. That your disciple may see the works you're doing. Go away from here. You want to do all these miracles and all these sermons? Go do it somewhere else. Don't embarrass us here. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then verse 5, for not even his brothers believed him. So we're not talking about an easy group of people. It's an unbelieving family. His family actually wanted him committed. You see that in Mark 3, 21. And when his family heard it, what he preached and what he said, they went out to seize him. Who went out to seize him? His family. Jesus, come here, Jesus. Come on. We've got to talk to you. They were saying he is out of his mind. Something must have changed in the lives of these people. 
to become who they became, to die the way that they did, to have the strength to stand against all the opposition of their lives because they've seen something. Acts 1.14, all but after seeing him resurrected what they've seen, they seen him alive, they became his disciples. Acts 1.14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. All the disciples were gathered in fellowship and prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. No longer thinking he's a fool, no longer wanting to shy away from his presence. Now they've seen him. Everything changed, and they're praying and fellowshipping. He's got, he's got unbelieving family. He's got doubting disciples. People that spent with him three years, they still don't believe. John 20, 24, we know about Thomas. They told him that we've seen Jesus. But he said, unless I see his hands and the marks of his nails, place my finger in, in, in the marks of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. I'm set and certain. I've had enough with this Jesus. He crushed all my hopes. He's dead. I will never believe. Something happens to Thomas. They were distraught. They were stubborn. However, they were dependent on empirical evidence. In other words, word of mouth was not good enough. When the women told them, they didn't believe. They wanted to see. They wanted to touch. That's why Jesus says, come touch me. I'm going to eat together with you so you will be convinced. Look at uh, verse 26 of John 20. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Uh, Thomas, uh, you kind of missed a great service last Sunday. Let me tell you what happened. Jesus showed up. No, really? Yes, he did. We touched him. And now Thomas shows up a week later. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you, talking to them. And then he goes, Thomas, I'm here for you. Come here. No, stay there. Put your fingers. Touch my wounds. Touch my side. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Everything changed. From the one that said, I will never. Now he's worshiping before Jesus. This appearance and this proof the disciples that are dependent on this empirical evidence, they're very discerning. They're not easily deceived. Acts chapter 10, verse 40, talking about specific kind of witnesses. But God raised them on the third day, made him appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen. Not everybody got to see him because God knew their hearts. He knew the people that could discern, the people that knew where they stood, that now when they changed their lives, you could see a difference. He ate and drank with them. So we have these doubting disciples, unbelieving family, and he even, as a witness, has a, a settled, embattled, established enemy. An established enemy 
that lived his life to destroy all the people that believed in the way, meaning Jesus. And we're talking about Saul. And he was not just anybody. Philippians chapter 3, verse 5, he talks about himself. He's got his resume. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, I'm a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Qualified teacher from the feet of Gamaliel, knew the law, believed in Yahweh, and waited for the Messiah. What's this young rabbi, dead and resurrected? I'm going to take everyone to prison and destroy their lives. Not only that, he was committed to erase any memory of this Jesus. Acts 9.1, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, asked him for letters to the synagogue, so that if any will be found belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He's ready to arrest anyone. He's purposed to punish. He laid, he, he cast his vote every time they had to have someone uh, uh, killed. Stephen, there was Saul. Because he believed in Jesus. I sought to do many things and oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I not only mocked many of the saints in prison, locked many of the saints in prison after receiving authority, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. They were not just anyone. They were people set to fight God and everything God had in Jesus. And something changed. Their lives were transformed because they met Jesus. We live in a time when you don't know what to believe anymore. We got the Twitter battle going on. We got the government showing their open face of a communist influence where now they have a truth uh, governance board that they'll tell the people what the truth is and what the truth is not. I know what that is all about from back in Romania. We're about to lose our second and First Amendment right, freedom of speech. What do you believe? Question is, do you have the strength to stand and say, Jesus is the only God. He is the only way to salvation. Knowing that if you say that, it will cost you your life. If you haven't met Jesus, you will not. If you haven't met Jesus in your own individual walk, being pierced by the presence of the Lord. James talks about that man being like a wave, being tossed to and fro, playing what is safe and what is beneficial to me right now. I'll repent later. Not these disciples. Everything changed because they met Jesus. Jesus is alive. How do I know? I've seen him in the scriptures. I've seen him in my life. I've seen him transform lives. I'm not talking about healing. That's temporary. I'm talking about the soul that is saved for eternity. Even when we know Christ Jesus as Lord, there are those right in the midst of Christ's life who questioned who Jesus was, even his family. There will be some who won't believe because while he is Lord, 
Those who question Christ really are questioning their own expectations. They're wanting their own way in things. Yet, Jesus comes after each of us. When God answers prayers through his word, he understands our hearts and knows who will be discerning of his will. Who wants to know more about Jesus? Who wants to follow him? He has a plan of great things for us if we but believe. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you alone transform our hearts and lives. We are saved from our sins. We are given something much better than our own way. For it is in you, in Christ Jesus, we are given new life. Because of you, we have eternal life. We can get to go home and live with you in your love forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to Scriptures for Life a ministry of Trinity Evangelical Free Church in Boise, Idaho. For more information about our church, visit us online at trinityefcboise.org or by phone 208-322-8801. Our church is located at 1777 North Allenbaugh Street in Boise. We'd love for you to join us for Sunday worship at 11 a.m. Join us next week at this time as we go through and apply God's Word on Scriptures for Life.